before 2004, specifically February 25th of 2004, most Christians would have never admitted to having even seen an R-rated movie, much less willingly promote one. What happened on February 25th, 2004? It was the premiere, of course, of The Passion of the Christ. And largely as a result of marketing directed at and supported by Christians, The Passion of the Christ became, at least for a short time, the highest rating, the highest grossing rated R movie in, in its time. One of my friends back in 2004 He shared the sentiments of many when he told me that he believed that the Passion of the Christ would be the greatest tool for evangelism in our generation. Many people agreed, and they purchased door hangers, and they published bulletin inserts, and they put up banners and yard signs. There were even commercials on local television that promoted the movie and the church that had bought out the theater so that people could invite their friends and family to see the movie. More than a billion dollars was spent on ticket sales and promotional material. Now, secular critics couldn't understand. Why would these Christians support such a violent movie? And of course, that violent movie earned its R rating in spades. But that didn't dissuade moms and dads and grandparents and groups from buying up those tickets. These same Christians that probably wouldn't have gone to see an R-rated movie with an explicit sex scene or an R-rated movie with lots of foul language... They were promoting this movie, not just tolerating the violence in it, but applauding the violence. Prominent Christian leaders commended the violence as being true to Scripture. Some of you might remember that Billy Graham at the time said that he would never be able to preach on the crucifixion without remembering what he had seen on the movie screen. Most of the Christians that gathered in those theaters would probably be shocked. Shocked to learn that while sitting there with their popcorn and their Diet Coke, seeing and perhaps even feeling in a sense the lash cut across Jesus' back, they would be shocked to discover that they were actually participating in something closer to medieval Catholic piety than to the purpose of the Passion accounts as they are presented to us in the Gospels. If you are a familiar reader of Scripture, if you've read John 19 before, if you've read Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23... Let me ask you, what's missing from these passages? What's missing from the recollection of the eyewitnesses 
from the narration that they laid out for us? What's missing from the passion accounts? You won't find any detailed accounts of the scourging that Jesus received. You won't learn about the pain of the crown of thorns being pressed into his brow. You won't hear the nails being driven into his hands. In fact, the accounts are very matter-of-fact. They're not sensationalized. They're not milked for every shred of emotion. They are more history or newspaper reporting than they are religious meditation. But in church history, a kind of piety developed that focused on contemplating the sufferings and the crucifixion of Jesus. And worshipers would sometimes even use self-inflicted wounds because they believed that by feeling pain themselves, they could better understand and draw close to Jesus. And so that's why they would practice flagellation, where they would whip their backs so that they could, in a sense, draw close to Christ as his back was whipped. Or they would wear what was called a hair shirt so that they could mortify their flesh and feel the discomfort that Christ must have certainly felt. These were ways in which Christians tried to identify with the pains of Jesus. And the Passion of the Christ movie, it capitalized on that piety. In fact, it came out later that some of the scenes that Mel Gibson had included in the movie were actually based on the writings of Catholic mystics who, caught up in a trance, wrote about their experience of participating or feeling what Christ felt, and then wrote that down, and that made its way into the movie, so that the movie was actually closer to that than it was to any actual account of Scripture. Why am I drawing your attention to all of this? Most of us, particularly if you've been Christian for more than a couple of years, you read the Passion accounts, the accounts of the crucifixion, and you're probably conflicted. What do I do with this? How am I supposed to feel about this? This is the, the most horrible moment of human history when the world crucifies the Son of God. And particularly in liturgical churches like ours, we come around to this text or one like it at least once a year. Maybe the first time that you heard this text read or that you really grappled with the meaning of this text or you heard a preacher preach this text, you felt it. And it was overwhelming to you. And you left the church or you closed your Bible with tears streaming down your face. Was it the same way the second time you heard it? Was it the same way the fifth time you heard it? The hundredth time you've heard it? How long have you been a Christian? Does it still affect you in the same ways? I don't think so. The purpose that the Bible has in relating the story of the crucifixion is not for us to meditate on the horror of the cross. 
The crucifixion is not meant to be contemplated as a sort of avenue of worship to God. We don't need to conjure up feelings of horror and revulsion to understand the cross. Instead, this morning, I want you to think about the cross and see it as a mirror. And it's showing you something. It's showing you three things. The first thing that we're going to see in the mirror of the cross is the cost of our own sin. The second thing that we're going to see in the mirror of the cross is God's great grace towards us. And then the third thing that we're going to see in the mirror of the cross is our real reality. The cost of our sin, God's great grace toward us, and also our real reality. So what do I mean when I say that the cross is a mirror that shows you your own sin? I don't know about you, but sometimes it is hard for me to think properly about my sin until it hurts someone I love. Is that true for you? Maybe it isn't until you see the tears in the eyes of your family member when you lash out in anger that you're brought up short and you recognize that what you've done is sinful. Or you see the frustration in your friend's face when you've been caught in a lie. And what seemed like an easy way to skate through a difficult situation now is unveiled for all of the terrible thing that it is. That's when we're often confronted by the seriousness of our sins. Well, the suffering and the death of Jesus reflect back to us the seriousness of our sin on a cosmic level. We're seeing in the crucifixion the cost of our sin. Jesus had to die because of sin. And for those of us who try so hard to quiet our own consciences, who downplay the effects of our sin, who justify all of the bad decisions that we make, we are brought up short when we see the crucifixion. Because it reflects back to us the cost of our sin. You see, at its root, sin is a violation of order. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go down here after church at the corner of MLK and Alexander or out to the corner of Maynard and Airport, you're going to see a traffic signal. And that traffic signal is meant to order the flow of cars through the intersection. But if you're trying to get to a lunch date right after church and you go careening through the intersection without any sense of propriety or paying any attention at all to whether the light is green or red, you are going to introduce disorder in that intersection. We can see that at a personal level. Our sin introduces disorder. And it shows up particularly as isolation. Isolation from one another and from God. And that's the story of the Bible too. After Adam and Eve's sin, God's perfect world is turned upside down. 
disorder is introduced where there had only been order and benediction before. Adam and Eve are at odds with one another. Adam and Eve are at odds with God. And they are exiled from the garden. Of course, the very first thing that we read is about murder. Sin introduces isolation and disorder. What do we see in the cross? We see that sense of isolation played out in spectacular detail. Jesus is not affirmed by the crowd. He is condemned by the crowd. He is condemned by Pilate. He's not welcomed with open arms by the Jews. He is forced out of the city of God, out of Jerusalem. He is removed even from the face of the earth as he is lifted up on the cross. The soldiers don't have any human connection to the man who's dying behind them. John tells us that they're on the ground there gambling for his clothing. His closest companions, the ones on either side, we don't even know their names. Jesus' final human act as he hangs on the cross is an attempt to reverse the disorder that his condemnation is creating for his mother. He looks and sees Mary and he looks and sees John and he says to her, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He wants her to be taken care of because he knows she is going to suffer condemnation and isolation because of his death. It's not recorded for us here in John chapter 19, but in Mark chapter 15, we hear Jesus' final cry of isolation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is the cost of sin? The cost of sin is disorder in God's creation and isolation from you and me and from us to God. That's what we see in the crucifixion. When someone sins against you, what do you want? Don't we want justice? Don't we want someone to take our side, to set right what has gone wrong? You want the coworker who lied about you to be caught in their lie, to pay the price because your reputation was ruined and you want their reputation to be ruined too. When a dictator invades another country, we want him to pay the price. We want him to suffer, to be deposed, to be cut off from power and influence. Friends, at the cross, Jesus paid the price. He paid the price that our sin requires. Because our sin has introduced disorder and isolation, God is angry. God is angry with you and me because of our sin. Our sin Not just sin generally, but my sin introduces disorder into the creation. Your sin harms other creatures. Our sin stifles our created purpose. And it is an affront against a holy 
God. A rebellion against our Creator. Jesus pays that price. When we look at the crucifixion, we see the cost of our sin. God's anger is satisfied at the cross as Jesus suffers and dies in our place. God's strict standards of justice are met. Wrath and anger are put away at the cross. The cost of our sin is paid. What do you see when you look at the cross? First, you see the cost of your own sin. The second thing, though, is you see the greatness of God's grace. You see, we're not actually going to see the cross for what it is if we stop at seeing our sin. The cross is not just a mirror of our sin. It is also a mirror of God's great grace toward us. Yes, Jesus had to die because of sin. But friends, hear this as clearly as you possibly can. Jesus was also glad to die for you and for me. John Stott, the great English preacher, said that the essence of sin is we humans substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be, and God puts himself where we deserve to be. You see, friends, God is not just a God of strict justice. God is not just a God of wrath and white-hot vengeance for His glory. He is also a God of love. A God who submits Himself to the justice that He requires. As one writer puts it, He is the God of the great reversal. At the very moment when all seems lost, God in Christ submits Himself to His own wrath. He satisfies His own justice. He appeases His own anger towards sin. He swallows the evil that is destroying His creation so that it can't destroy us. At any moment, do you realize this? At any moment of his suffering and crucifixion, Jesus could have called the whole thing off. He was the divine Logos who spoke the world into being and he could have ended his pain with just a thought. But he did not consider his own pain and humiliation. Instead, John 19 says that he knew that all was now finished. He was conscious of the amount that he would have to suffer. That's why he could say confidently that it is finished. He did not stop until it was finished. He did not stop until his life was drained away. And he did not stop. Because his life was for you. And his death was for you. 
great reformer John Calvin said that Christ was stripped of his garments so that he might clothe us with his righteousness. His body was exposed to the insults and anger of men so that we might appear in glory before God. For us. For me. For you. What do you see when you see the cross? You see God's great mercy and kindness and grace for you so that you no longer need to fear. When we look at the cross, we see the cost of our sin. When we look at the cross, we see God's great mercy and grace for us. Friends, when you look at the cross, you also see yourself. You see your real reality. See, I understand in some ways what drives the kind of mystical desire to worship in the way that the passion of the Christ captured. I understand the sense that we are sometimes feel far from God. I understand the sense that sometimes we don't know exactly what to do with our sin. But friends, you don't need to contemplate the sufferings of Jesus in order to feel closer to God. You don't need to share vicariously in the death of Jesus through movies or self-inflicted pain. Why? Because you were there. You were there. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2 that you were crucified with Christ. John 19 isn't just history, it's your story too. It's the story of your life. It's the story of your death. It's the story of the power of sin's destruction and the destruction of sin's power. Don't trivialize the crucifixion. Don't trivialize it by meditating on it and trying to understand it and trying to feel the pain that Jesus felt. Don't embrace that kind of weird mysticism as an avenue of worship. Instead, look to the cross and see the truth. You died that day. You died to sin. You died to death. You died to Satan so that you can walk in a new life marked by the love of God for you. What do you see when you see the cross? Friends, you see the cost of our sin. You see the greatness of God's grace. And you see your story too. Let's pray. Father, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us because we were crucified with him. Lord, from this point of view, help us to hate our remaining sin. Help us to believe anew that you love us and are gracious toward us. And help us, O God, to walk in obedience to you, remembering that we have been changed. 
and that nothing, not even death itself, can change us back. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.